0: Cause a kid eat the middle
1: of an Oreo first And save the chocolate cookie outside for of... See, there's so much plastic cream in between Aren't Oreo kids lucky? Aren't Oreo
2: mothers wonderful? Cause a kid
0: eat the middle of an Oreo first And say the
2: chocolate cookie outside for of... Another public service announcement from Brill Cream
3: Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of
4: a clown on Just Radio <laughs>
0: With the Roger, we'll
4: go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC.
0: On fire, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Yeah, hey, hey,
3: hey, hey, hey. Yay, hey, yeah. Hey. Good evening and welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio.
5: What?
0: Hey My hey come on in Jimmy have a seat make Pop yourself to home I'm
1: a dumb white guy I'm not older new but middle school fifth grade like junior high I don't know mofo if y'all peeps.
0: Giving props to my hope, because she would love lie, to know what I that lyric is. The he was in the other way, me known as Kid Funk San yeah, Nan, I'm hung, hung like planet, planet Pluto. Pluto, hard to see with a naked eye. But if I crashed into your rainus, I would stick it where the sun don't shine, cause I'm kind of like Han Solo, always stroking my own walk, just I'm like a woman's All that's evil, yeah, but
5: you
3: I've got my, my cooking. All right. The roof is on the roof. fire that means it's time for you to put your feet fire. up put your head back you do have the head back permission roof. for the next 120 the minutes on
0: the roof.
3: The roof. just tell the them the jester sent you fire. we don't need no water let the motherfucker burn burn motherfucker burn. oh man There's something just so graticating about that isn't it I don't know what it is. I just feel like a shiver me timbers. Brr. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the uh, ravings of a clown. It's Wednesday, April the second, the year of our Lord two thousand and eight. And me, thanks for axing. I'm feeling a little better, quite frankly. I do normally have this very nasal uh, New York big schnoz Jew thing going, um, but I'm uh, I was feeling much worse. Than that, the past several uh, days, really a week now, just uh, getting over it. But I'm back to my normal self, and I'm not uh, hacking up a lung. And to celebrate the occasion, I'm going to stuff myself a lovely bowl of uh, marijuana. Luckily, the restrictions here in our secret location outside your universe are such that... (sighs) We're free to uh, consume anything we damn well please. Such a show we have for you this evening, it's all about the music, and we have uh, some uh, wonderful tunes for you this evening, including Jackson Brown, The Standells, Peter, Paul and Mary, Blues Image, Lionel Richie, Jerky Boys, Beach Boys. Pat Stevens sticks. So much more. Plus, we're playing uh, all your requests. Give us a call. 646 502 8600. Get you live on the air with the jester. Tell us what you want to hear. And we'll get it on the air. Lickety split. Like that. You'll be typing and typing. And then, like, you hit enter. And then the song will come on. And it'll interrupt the previous song. You like the way the Fonz would do on the on the jukebox? So give us a call, 646-502-8600. That's a good number to keep handy just in case, uh, we say something here that annoys the fuck out of you, which invariably it will, uh, at some point. So, uh, you just dial that number and just ventilate. There's no, there's no governor, uh, there's no reason to feel you need to, um, you know, restrict your, uh, your language or your thoughts where we're open to even the wackiest, stupidest ideas. Uh, such as your own. Also, the Jester Radio chat room is open. It's easy to get into. Simply stop by www.jesterradio.com, click on chat, and if you can't find your way from there, well, then we really can't use you. Time now to turn our attention to the headlines from high atop Jester Radio studios in a secret location, blibbity-blabbity. Senator Barack Obama was uh, endorsed today by another uh, labor union it's so important because these labor unions uh, own so many vo- votes uh, the, these laborers they don 't give a fuck about the country they just give you know they just care about their job everything about you know their vote is all about their job and that's you know pressed home every time they go to one of these political rallies uh these you know mobsters get up there and tell them who to vote for uh, that's going to protect their jobs and they diligently you know, go to the polls and vote for whoever the fuck uh, they say to vote for. And they're not really telling them who to vote for based on what's good for them. They're telling them who to vote for based on whom they cut the best deal with for endorsement. Endorsements are all about uh, one hand washing the other, one back scratching the other. Not sure how to do that, but... They they figure out a way, rest assured. Um, he also got two Democratic superdelegates as a poll showed that he's cut Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton's lead in Pennsylvania almost in half since mid-February as he strives to deny her a resounding victory in the state's presidential primary. The Illinois senator peeled off an affiliate of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, uh, which has uh, endorsed Clinton, Philadelphia-based uh, local of the National Union of Hospital and Healthcare Employees has about sixteen thousand members. Its president, and that's just votes. They make a deal with the head of that union to endorse them, and they just chalk off sixteen thousand votes. Its president, Harry uh, Henry Nicholas, announced the endorsement while introducing Obama at a meeting of the Pennsylvania AFL-CIO. Uh, this guy Nicholas is also the president of the one hundred and fifty thousand-member National Union. Uh, And an AFSCME international vice president said he took the step because justice told me it was the right position to take. Justice meaning, you know, several dozen crisp hundred dollar bills. Meanwhile, Wyoming Governor Dave Freudenthal and former Montana Senator John Melcher endorsed Obama as superdelegates to the National Convention. They're among the Democratic Party leaders who are going to decide the nomination because Obama leads Clinton in delegates. Uh, although uh, neither candidate can win solely with the pledged delegates because uh, they both have won primaries and caucuses. Obama won uh, handily the Wyoming's March 8th caucus. Montana has a Democratic primary on June 3rd. Since last Friday Obama has cut Clinton's lead among superdelegates by four. Uh, She now has 250 and he's got 220. Asked on MSNBC's Hardball about the possibility that he might finish the primary season with a lead among delegates but still not get the nomination, Obama said it was too early to worry about that. Most of the superdelegates who have not yet decided, I think, will recognize that we've earned this nomination. That's not guaranteed, and I don't, don't take anything for granted, Obama said. Uh, I'll let the poobahs of the party make a decision as to how they want to deal with it. And that's what it's all about. It's all about the, uh, the parties. Because in America, we really don't get to vote for people. We just get to vote for the people that are selected for us by the parties. You know, what I wish we could see is just like, um, a hundred people, you know, stand up and say, no, vote for me because I'm going to fucking legalize marijuana and do this. I mean, they'll, they'll obviously, <laughs> there'll be a greater interest in appealing to the, um, largest number of Americans instead of just some tiny little select uh, group from fucking, you know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin—that that doesn't, uh, uh, whose interests don't uh, even intersect with mine, by a little bit. Al Qaeda number two, Ayman al zawari rejecting criticism of attacks by the terror network's followers that have killed thousands, maintained today that it does not kill innocent people. His comment came during a 90-minute audio response that was billed as the first installment of answers. To the more than 900 questions submitted on extremist internet sites by Al Qaeda supporters, critics, and journalists in December, so they're having their their <laughs> their Al Qaeda town hall meeting, where the terrorists get to ask questions of the head terrorist, and he, you know, instructs them, no, we don't kill innocent people. That's absurd. You know, the Quran strictly prohibits killing innocent people, but of course, not a single fucking word." These pathological lunatics ever say is, you know, is worth a fucking, you know, pile of dog shit. We we haven't killed the innocents, not in Baghdad, nor in Morocco, nor in Algeria, nor anywhere else, Al-Zawari said. That was a tape, by the way, we just played. According to a 46-page English transcript that accompanied the audio message posted on websites linked to Al-Qaeda. The answer was in response to the question, excuse me, Mr. Zawari. They have to say excuse me, even when they're writing it, because they're afraid he'll be doing something else when he turns to read the question. And the guy right away, he has to excuse himself. Excuse me, Mr. Zawari, but who is it who is killing with your excellency's blessing the innocents in Baghdad, Morocco, and Algeria? Al-Qaeda has claimed responsibility for the September 11 attacks that killed nearly 3,000 people in New York and Washington uh, back in 2001, while its affiliates in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Algeria regularly set off bombs in crowded urban areas that have taken thousands of lives. If there is any innocent who was killed in the Mujahideen's operations, then it is either an unintentional error or out of necessity, Al-Zawari said, because... Of course, you know, any reasonable-minded person can see that there are times when you have to kill women and children. He went on to accuse Al-Qaeda's opponents of being the ones who kill innocent people. He also charged that, quote, the enemy intentionally takes up positions in the midst of the Muslims for them to be human shields for him. Not sure uh, what the specifics of that are. A uh, Banner bearing the logo of Al-Qaeda's media arm, Al-Sahab, appeared earlier in the day on websites linked to the network to announce that Al-Zawari's uh, first round of answers was coming. Um, this guy, Al-Zawari, is the chief deputy to Osama bin Laden and he said in the audio that he has uh, chosen approximately a hundred questions to answer. Al-Sahab announced in December that Al-Zawari would take questions from the public, posted on Islamic websites and would respond ASAP Queries were submitted on the main Islamic website until the cutoff date of January 16th. After that, uh, the questions disappeared from the site. Self-proclaimed Al-Qaeda supporters appeared to be as much in the dark about the terror network's operations and intentions as Western analysts and intelligence agencies, which just goes to prove they're not an army, it's not a war, there's no uniforms, there's no government. Uh, there's no fucking group. There's a lone lunatic with a small band of bodyguards protecting him, and some soldiers that he keeps around um, to send out on suicide missions. But apart from that, um, they're 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 not a, a a defined group. They're just you know a, a band of loosely knit sociopaths that you know like to kill, probably. Uh, were physically and sexually abused as children and grew up with that uh, very dark rage that that kind of thing causes. You know the one disappointing thing you never hear the reporters, um, they always ask these things about the symbolism of their mosques and what did it mean when they occupied this sacred thing and they always sort of pander. To their dialogue about how uh, the the reason they're conducting this jihad against everybody in any fucking thing uh, is all because it was provoked by, you know, Western, uh, you know, um, crusaders who want to convert them. Uh, but it's got nothing to do with that. The questioners appeared uh, completely uh, uncertain. Uh, Whether Al-Qaeda's central leadership directly controls the multiple small militant groups around the Middle East that work in its name, or whether those groups operate on its own. And if those terrorists are asking that question, (laughs) those are the guys that are running the little splinter cells, then obviously the answer is no, he's not running shit. Some asked if Al-Qaeda had a long-term strategy, while others wanted advice about conducting Islamic holy war, so they needed specific instructions Uh, What's a good day to bomb, you know, uh, since we have to fucking fall to our knees and gibber to the east six times a day, uh, should we do it between midday and late midday prayers or when's a good time to kill a Jew is what they wanted to know. So it, this really you know it it, it it was their intention to sort of uh you know go legit and show how global they are by answering these questions but really in fact what it did was expose uh what a fucking bunch of posers they are And how they have no organization whatsoever that their own fucking people who are supposedly in their own organizations are asking the most basic questions like, what's our goal here? Are you in charge? Do you command directly? I mean, it's a fucking joke. You know, just imagine if this is what we raised. I always think about, go back to Timothy McVeigh. He was a disgruntled, uh, you know, lunatic sociopath um, who was anti-American government because you know they restricted his access to uh, um, you know automatic weapons. You know they he could only buy like thirty a month or something, and that wasn't enough for him to uh, uh, stockpile uh, against the coming revolution. So he decided to instigate it and uh, blow up a government building in Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't turn him into, like, you know, he didn't run away and become, uh, you know, like the head of uh, anti-American government uh, politics. Um They just, uh, you know, they didn't go to war against his hometown or all the people that, you know, write the magazines that he reads, those fucking Soldier of Fortune wackos. They they, they didn't invade every... uh army navy surplus store and arrest all those fucking lunatics you know they just uh arrested him and they threw him in fucking jail and then you know they fucking hung him or gave him a you know a shot or whatever chemical uh, uh execution so why don't we do why why didn't we just do the same thing to these fucking wackos that blew up uh the world trade center and then just move on. Why did we invent this whole like phony uh you know bullshit war and then of all places focus it on Iraq which had absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with 9/11. I mean at least Afghanistan was even though the country w- wasn't officially, you know, a sponsor, they harbored the the uh, guys who uh who did who carried out 9/11. They trained them, you know. It was a it was a hangout for them. At least that made sense to invade them. Hey, you think you're being gouged by big oil? U.S. troops in Iraq are paying uh, almost as much as Americans back home. Get that. Despite burning fuel at staggering rates in a war to stabilize a country known for its oil reserves, military units pay $3.23 a gallon for gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel, $88 a day per service member in Iraq, 88 bucks a day per guy in Iraq, according to the AP Review and Interviews. With defense officials, a penny or two increase in the price of fuel can add millions of dollars to the U.S. costs. This was one of the reasons, by the way, uh, supposedly, they, uh, that, you know, the the Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney cabal um, were slavering at the fucking bit about getting a military base in the Middle East was to get, you know, fucking 38 cent a gallon gasoline. Critics in Congress are fuming, the U.S., they said, is being suckered as the cost of war exceeds half a trillion dollars it's running ten point three billion dollars a month and in case you think that's not a lot of money just consider that that point three is three hundred million dollars and that's just the point three according to the congressional research service some lawmakers say oil rich allies in the middle east should be doing more to subsidize fuel costs because of the stake they have in a secure iraq Others point to Iraq's own burgeoning surplus as crude oil prices top $100 a barrel. Baghdad subsidies let Iraqis pay only about $1.36 a gallon. The U.S. military, through its Defense Energy Support Center, buys fuel on the open market. The U.S. military goes to the gas station and is paying from $1.99 a gallon to as much as $5.30 a gallon under contracts with private and government-owned oil companies. The center then sets a fixed rate for troops, currently 351 a gallon for diesel, 315 for gas and 304 for jet fuel and 1361 for avgas, the high octane fuel that's used in the unmanned aerial vehicles, those uh, toys that they fly around by remote control. Kuwait does grant substantial subsidies, but they cover only about half the fuel used by the US in Iraq and the disc, uh, discount is eaten up by the energy support centers administrative costs so the the group that's responsible for buying the gas is making up <laughs> for any discount that they're getting the cost of having them over there overall the military consumes 1.2 million barrels more than 50 million gallons of fuel each month in Iraq um, and pays an average of $127.68 a barrel, and that works out to just about $153 million a month to fill the gas tanks of the soldiers in Iraq. Once again, you know, I point to that, I point to that uh, just that one number, and imagine what that would do in uh, the U.S. economy if that money were being spent uh, in America. For at least 16 months after the September 11 attacks in 2001. The Bush administration believed that the Constitution's protection against unreasonable searches and seizures on U.S. soil didn't apply to its efforts to protect against terrorism. That view was expressed in a secret justice legal memo dated October 23, 2001. The administration today stressed that it now disavows that view since um, it came out. Now they disavow it. It's a, it's a, it's a very common, um, script with this administration. They do the sickest, most obviously perverted, illegal shit. And then when they get busted, they simply say, yeah, we don't do that anymore. The October 2001st memo was written at the request of the White House by John Yu, then the Deputy Assistant Attorney General, and addressed to Alberto Gonzalez, the White House counsel at the time. The administration had asked the department for an opinion on the legality of potential responses to terrorist activity. The 37-page memo is classified and has not yet been released. Its existence was disclosed yesterday in a footnote of a separate secret memo dated March 14, 2003, released by the Pentagon in response to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit by the ACLU. Our office recently concluded that the Fourth Amendment had no application to domestic military operations, the footnote states, referring to a document titled Authority for Use of Military Force to Combat Terrorist Activities Within the United States. Basically, they just declared secret martial law and canceled the Fourth Amendment, which, in case you don't have a copy open, in front of you right now is the one that protects you against illegal search and seizure. They can't come and look in your house or listen to your telephone lines or search through your car or your shit without this little thing, this little special instrument that we have in America called a subpoena. Exactly what domestic military actions was covered by the October memo is unclear. But federal documents indicate that the memo relates to the National Security Agency's Terror and Surveillance Program, or TSP, and that program intercepted phone calls and emails on U.S. soil, bypassing the normal legal requirement that such eavesdropping be authorized by a secret federal court. That, that program began after the September 11 terrorist attacks and continued until January 17th of 2007, just over a year ago when the White House resumed seeking surveillance warrants from the Foreign Intelligence Service Court. White House spokesman uh, Tony Frato said today that the Fourth Amendment finding in the October memo was not the legal underpinning for the terrorist surveillance program. TSP relied on a separate set of legal memoranda. Fratto told Jester Radio. The Justice Department outlined that legal framework in its January 2006 white paper. The October memo was written just days before Bush administration officials, including uh, Vice President Dick Cheney, briefed four House and Senate leaders on the NSA's secret wiretapping program for the first time. The government itself related the October member to the TSP program when it included it on a list of documents that were responsible to the ACLU's request for records from the program. It refused to hand them over. Today, Justice Department spokesman Brian Rokhoss said the statement in the footnote does not reflect the current view of the Department's Office of Legal Counsel. We disagree with the proposition that the Fourth Amendment has no application to domestic military operations, he said. Whether a particular search or seizure is reasonable under the Fourth Amendment requires consideration of the particular context and circumstances of the search. So they're all backpedaling, of course, as they always do. Whenever they're outed, whenever it becomes public, the sick, evil, fucking shit that they say—you would think that these, you know, people who carry themselves as you know decent, religious, um, ethical uh, people would, at, you know, at least um, prepare themselves for this for, for the for the day that uh, you know their deeds are uh, unveiled. Because, you know, even the stupidest man knows that that day will always come. And certainly, these wise and uh, um, hardened politicians know that. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. It's all about the water tonight. Randy Newman starts it off.
5: You get food deep. Won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet. You just sing about Jesus drink wine all day it's great to be an american ain't no lion of tiger ain't no mama snake just a sweet watermelon in a buckwheat cake Everybody is as happy as a man can be Climb a little walk, sail away with me Sail away, sail away We will cross the mighty ocean in a just baby. Of the mighty ocean in the Charleston Bay In America every man is free To take care of his home and his family He'd be as happy as a monkey in a monkey tree All gonna be an American. Sail away, sail away. We will cross the mighty ocean in the Charleston day Sail away, sail away. We will cross. Daddy,
3: oh, it just and be. Happy as a monkey in a monkey, Trey Randy Newman on Just Radio. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown this uh, Wednesday, April the 2nd. And I'm hanging in the Jester Radio chat room. Why not stop by at www.jesterradio.com? Also, uh, think about giving us a call and um, telling us what you want to hear or just saying whatever's on your mind. The phone number is 646-502-8600. 646-502-8600. So I got a call tonight from my father. My father's I think, like 89 or 86 or something. He's, his his age has changed a couple of times over the years. I think it's like 84 now, he's claiming. And, you know, for the past, like, 20 years, literally for the past two or three years, he had a stroke a few years back. And, uh, you know, I've sort of been waiting, you know, for that other shoe to fall for my father to die. He's, his older brother and older sister lived till they were both in their 90s. Um, but, um, I don't know. I've always had this dread of my father dying because of these, you know, uh, decades of unresolved shit, you know, that go, that go on in my family. And they all came down from my father. My father was the, was the progenitor of all the shit in the Jester family. And, uh, so he gives me a call tonight. Oy is me. your mother fell down, cracked her skull open. What, what, why did she fall down? Well, she was taking some medication. Why was she taking medication? Uh, Well, she's been having stomach problems, and so now all of a sudden I'm switching to, my mother's in the hospital, she's got a fucking half a dozen stitches in her head. She's got, now I hear problems with the stomach, and she's falling. She was like, you know, always the um, younger one. (laughs) I think she's like 75, but I always thought of her as young. Uh, Even when I was a kid, I remember, um, you know, my teachers, when they they met my mother, they were like, holy crap, that's your fucking mother? She was like this, you know, tall, uh, thin, uh, you know, gorgeous, uh, erudite, uh, classy, you know, New York uh, woman. And then, you know, and there was me. (laughs) They would fucking look at me with the big brown shoes and the yellow dress And they would just shake their heads. So now for the first time I'm thinking about, wow, I wonder if my mother um, dies first. Because that'll be it for my father. He'll have about an hour and 45 minutes after that. Um, Because he ain't, you know, barely wiped his ass for himself the past, you know, 10 years since he retired. So... And I tell you, man, while I've talked about, you know, in therapy about my father and my fucked up relationship with him um, and the good and the bad shit and all this for, you know, 45 plus years, 43, you know, plus years, um, I've never talked about my mother. My mother, I sort of canceled very early off in my life, just sort of scratched her off, uh, have these some very early um, disturbing, weird memories of my mother. And then since then, we've sort of been cordial. You know, we've communicated mostly by way of rumor. But now she may be the one uh, who goes first, and, you know, that's going to suck. A bipartisan Senate bill designed to ease the slumping. You know, when you get to our age, we're finally dealing with the baby boomers, are all finally dealing with our parents, you know, dying. I know some of us. You know, sooner than later. Um, But you know, in general, um, I think about you know my friends, uh, the 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 day the the day of the rave and uh, Poe and a lot of folks who have already lost a parent or or two. Um, And more coming. A bipartisan Senate bill designed to ease the slumping housing market won tepid reviews today. Even its top sponsor acknowledged. That much more is needed to help millions of families threatened with foreclosure. The scaled-back proposal unveiled by Senate Banking Committee Chairman Christopher Dodd contains an amalgam of ideas aimed at boosting demand for housing, helping homeowners saddled with subprime mortgages avoid foreclosure. The plan contains $4 million, I should say billion dollars, in grants to local governments to buy and refurbish the foreclosed homes. A new authority for states to issue bonds to be used to re- refinance subprime mortgages and a temporary $7,000 tax credit for people who buy new homes or properties that are, are currently in foreclosure. I'm not sure what the, uh, uh what, 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 the, why this is a good thing to have governments buying foreclosed houses or to give people $7,000 tax credits for buying properties that are already in foreclosure, meaning that they're being sold under market value. So you would think that the concentration would be on preventing these homes from going into foreclosure to begin with. These provisions and others were the product of a bipartisan negotiation that produced a narrow, common denominator approach to the crisis. There's a lot more that needs to be done, Dodd said, but it's a step in the right direction. Whenever you hear that phrase, there's a lot more that needs to be done, but it's a step, that's the last you'll ever fucking hear from these people. The White House weighed in with serious doubts about the plan, and economists across the spectrum are skeptical that it'll do uh, that. it uh, do uh, much to ease the wrenching crisis in the housing market and the wave of foreclosures spreading across the country. White House spokesman Tony Frata said the administration likes some provisions, such as issuing mortgage bonds, modernizing the Fed uh, Housing Administration. To boost access to FHA insured loans but he added the administration has serious concerns about other provisions such as the home buyers tax credit and aid to local government to purchase foreclosed homes this is you know this is um, a a chronic problem in the United States that we're constantly in emergency mode um, as if nobody saw any of this shit coming down the road it just sickens me. I keep fucking hearing about this shit, you know, 10 years ago I heard that um these ridiculous uh, mortgage rates um are just begging for a fucking nightmare down the road. Everybody fucking knew it. And they were handing out mortgages like potato chips. They were all fucking scamming everybody. They, uh, lo- you know, the the Bush administration loosened all these provisions on appraisals and, you know, who can do appraisals. It used to be everything had to be done in arm's length. Now it could be your fucking brother-in-law doing these appraisals. And they made these phony, trumped-up appraisals. They got these ridiculous fucking adjustable mortgages. Uh, they went out and found all these fucking black and Latino and um. um people that didn't speak english as well and didn't have the benefit of counsel and poorer people they said oh yeah it's an adjustable mortgage but don't worry it never goes up you know they just said sold them a fucking bullshit bill of goods and then they you know would loan them 175 grand on a house that was worth 75 grand so now that their fucking mortgage has gone up to, you know, from $700 a month to $1,500 a month that they can't afford, and uh, they're getting fucking laid off, and the economy sucks. Uh, but now the fucking, they find out that if they were, we even want to sell the house, they'd still owe another seventy-five grand even after they fucking sold the house for what it's worth. It's just a nightmare. And we knew this was coming because we created the situation. I always liken this to that um you know situation where you call uh Macy's um on Christmas and it takes like an hour and a half to get through and you say you know are those gloves uh, that I'm looking for in stock and they go well we can't tell you it's Christmas we're we're short on help uh, you know and I always um you know think you know well didn't they know Christmas was was coming they only had they've only been in business for 157 years at Macy's and Christmas has been going on for some 1,300 years, so they must have heard about it. So why didn't they just get extra people and make it so that it's not a fucking nightmare on Christmas since everybody knew it was coming? Why doesn't some genius uh, sit down and say, how do we create a consumer experience that's invisible to the customer, what we're doing uh, that makes it better in more difficult times? Why do we, why, why do we have to take it out on the customer? And this is this fucking attitude that everybody just sits back and lets it happen, knowing damn well what the result is going to be. But, you know, who cares? These people are lining their pockets today, and they'll be fucking in the wind tomorrow. And all these poor bastards, millions, millions and millions of people are stuck with these uh, upside-down mortgages that they can't afford to pay. They can't afford it, so they're going to have to foreclose. They're going to have to go into bankruptcy. It's going to be a fucking nightmare. It's going to be like a real... Nineteen thirty style depression, out there. When you got uh, tens and hundreds of millions of people walking around, all of whom owe a bank, you know, fifty grand, it's going to be a bad situation. Allegations that third graders hatched an elaborate plot to knock out, handcuff, and stab their teacher with met, was met with shock by neighbors and with doubt by psychiatry experts who said. It's unlikely that the children that young seriously intended to hurt anybody. I don't know if you remember when I was a kid, uh, I remember standing around the Big Rock over at uh, Cherry Hill Lane School um, when I was like in second and third grade with Scott Benson and talking about um, getting a tank and rolling it across the playground. And I suppose if Ms. Selver ever heard that we were planning on doing this, we'd be, you know... In fucking prison now. Police say the plot at Center Elementary School began because the children ages 8 to 10 were apparently angry because the teacher disciplined one of the students for standing on a chair. Students brought a crystal paperweight, a steak knife with a broken handle, steel handcuffs, and other items as part of last week's plot, police said yesterday. They said nine students were involved, but prosecutors are seeking juvenile charges only against three of them. You heard me. Charges against three, eight, to ten-year-olds for plotting to do harm to their teacher. Experts said children at the age, and you know we live in a country with this um, legal theory. We've talked about this many times before, called mens rea, um, the um, you know the evil heart, the 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 you know what it is you're thinking. We don't prosecute somebody for accidentally running somebody over as badly as we do if they did it with a um, with the intention of killing somebody it 's what they wanted, what their intention was that 's the heart of the crime in the American system, unlike in some you know societies like if a woman in uh, Egypt is raped, then she 's the one that gets punished doesn 't matter that the circumstances are uh, that it wasn 't her fault, she committed adultery that 's just black and white doesn 't matter what 's in your fucking heart, but in America, in order to be fair we take into consideration what the the men's ray of the state of mind is the children of 8 and 10 years old don't have a state of mind they're retards they they drift from one thought to another they uh you know they 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 can't comprehend the gravity of a real plot to harm somebody so the idea that these people are prosecuting 8 to 10 year olds this is indicative of a society that's in the throes of a witch hunt type mentality. They really don't know how to uh, address uh, the ills of society and are just sort of striking out in this very zero tolerance, black and white kind of way. Experts said children that age are certainly imaginative and capable of creating elaborate games, but uh, Dr. Lewis Krauss, a child shrink expert at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago, said that he doubts they would have actually attacked. The reality is uh, it's highly unlikely they would have been successful at this, Kraus said. Even if it had begun, it's unclear whether they actually would have followed through with it. Most premeditated acts of student violence in schools usually don't occur until high school, Kraus said. Younger children have been known to bring knives or weapons to school, experts said, but often it's more a matter of showing off or acting tough. part of a deliberate assault attempt. Police said the plot had been organized enough that some students were assigned specific roles, such as covering classroom windows and cleaning up any any mess. (laughs) And you know how neat eight-year-olds are. Most children under the age of 12 don't generally experience the kind of long-standing anger necessary for a premeditated crime, said Dan Mears, an associate professor at Florida State University's College of Criminology and criminal justice, kids tend to be more spontaneous, Muir said. If they're angry, they act on it right then. District Attorney is seeking juvenile charges of conspiracy to commit aggravated assault against an eight-year-old boy and two girls ages nine and ten. Girls are also charged with bringing weapons to school. News of the alleged plot spread quickly through the small South Georgia city on the northern edge of the Okefenokee Swamp where residents are preparing for their annual Swamp Fest celebration this weekend. They were so young, I just couldn't believe it, said Eulithia Harris, 50, who lives in a public housing complex near the school. I wouldn't think like that would happen in little old Waycross. I guess if it can happen in the big cities, it can happen here. Police Chief Tony Tanner said the plot unraveled. When a student reported to school officials on Friday that a classmate had a knife in her backpack, school officials said they punished all nine students. Some received long-term suspension, but they would not be more specific. Under school system rules, children who bring weapons to school may also face expulsion. Tanner and District Attorney Rick Curie did not immediately return calls seeking comment. Chevette Owens, whose seven- and eight-year-old children attend the school, said she was glad officials had taken action but was still somewhat shaken. Where were my kids uh, when these kids had all those weapons, Owens said. My heart just dropped. I I just don't know what to think. So she wants to know where were her kids when these kids had all them weapons. Well, that's a uh, provocative question, Ms. Owens. I suppose they were in class learning. So to bring all this uh, ridiculous extra drama to this as if they were in imminent danger, uh, the plot was against the teacher anyway. It was never against any fellow students. So, It would take an extraordinary circumstance for a child under the age of 10 to be detained, uh, said uh, Barton Juvenile Defender Clinic uh, uh, Randy Waldman. Um, juvenile court is rehabilitative in nature. It's not designed to be punitive. Children so young often aren't considered competent to stand trial, he said, because they lack the maturity to understand even the basics of the legal system. They may also be deemed too young to have had criminal intent. And there you go. Without the intent, there is no crime. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jest Radio this Wednesday, April the 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2000 and something. Got something to say about it, Six four six five zero two, eighty six hundred. 502 8600 Gets you live on the air with your old pal, the Jester. Look out longer boats are coming to win us
2: longer boats are coming to win us they come into win us Coming to win us, hold on to the shore. They'll be taking the key from the door. I don't want no God on my lawn, just a flower I can help along. Cause the soul of are coming to us, they're coming to win us, they're coming to win us, the lumber boats are coming to win us, hold on to the shore. the past
3: He dropped her pants by the sand and let a parson come and take her hand. But the soul of nobody knows where the parson goes. Where does the parson go? Cat Stevens on jester radio before he was a terrorist. You're tuned into the ravings of a clown this Wednesday, April the 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2008. And uh, Ms. Owens wants to know. Where were her kids when those kids had all them weapons? That's what she wants to know. Where was they? Scientists have pinpointed genetic variations that make people more likely to get hooked on cigarettes and more prone to develop lung cancer, a finding that could someday lead to screening tests and customized treatments for smokers trying to kick the habit. The discovery by three separate teams of scientists makes the strongest case so far— for the biological underpinnings of nicotine addiction and sheds more light on how genetics and lifestyle habits join forces. To cause cancer. So the gene makes you want to smoke, and the smoke makes you get cancer. It's a kind of double whammy gene, said Christopher Amos, professor of epidemiology at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, and author of one of the studies. It also makes you more likely to be dependent on smoking and less likely to quit. A smoker who inherits these genetic variations from both parents has an 80% chance greater of lung cancer than a smoker without the variants, the research reports. And that same smoker, on average, lights up to two extra cigarettes, cigarettes a day and has a much harder time quitting than smokers who don't have these genetic differences. The researchers disagreed on whether the variants directly increased the risk of lung cancer or did so indirectly by causing more smoking. The three studies funded by governments in the U.S. and Europe are being published tomorrow in the journal's Nature and Nature Genetics The scientists studied the genes of more than 35,000 white people of European descent in Europe, Canada and the US blacks and Asians will be studied soon and they may yield different results because they have different genes. They aren't quite sure of what they found is a set of variations in one gene or three closely connected genes. The gene variations which govern nicotine receptors on cells could eventually help explain some of the mysteries of chain smoking, nicotine addiction and lung cancer. These oddities include why there are 90-year-old smokers who don't get cancer and people who light up an occasional cigarette and don't get hooked. That's the one that always fascinates me. For me, you know, cigarettes are like heroin. You know, one cigarette and that's it. I'm a carton a day. You know, I I go through three big lighters a day when I'm smoking. This is really telling us that the vulnerability to smoking and how much you smoke is clearly biologically based, said psychiatrist Professor Dr. Laura Beirut of Washington University in St. Louis, uh, genetics and smoking expert who did not take uh, part in the study. She praised the research as very intriguing. And, you know, when they asked... Um, <laughs> I just can't hear that word without doing that joke. I'm sorry. Who was the guy, that Jaime Town guy, uh, you know, who ran for president? When they asked him, uh, you know, what did he thought of Beirut? He said he thought he would the best baseball player at ever live. The smoking rate among U.S. adults has dropped from 42% in 1965 to less than 21% now. That's pretty fucking good. The new studies are surprising in that they point to areas of the genetic code that are not associated with pleasure and the rewards of addiction. That may help enlighten why some people can quit and others fail, said Dr. Nora Volkow, director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse in Bethesda, Maryland, which funded one of the studies. It opens our eyes, Volkow said today. Not everyone takes drugs for the same reason. Not everyone smokes cigarettes for the same reason. So they, we always, you know, look to that pleasure center for everything. You know, that's why people are overweight, and that's why people smoke, and that's why people shoot dope. But it's not all about the pleasure center. There's lots of mysteries in that brain. It's just uh, um, just this um, uh, whole universe we haven't even begun to, you know, understand. With her 18th chart topper, Touch My Body, and no, don't take your hand off the dial, not to worry. We're not going to play it. Mariah Carey has passed Elvis Presley for the most number one singles on the Billboard Singles chart and is now second only to the Beatles. But while the diva was in full celebration mode after learning of her latest milestone, she's also quick to put her accomplishment in perspective. I really could never put myself in the category of people who have not only revolutionized music, but also changed the world, Carey told Jester Radio today via phone from London. That's a completely different era and time. I'm just feeling really happy and grateful. Carrie's number one single is the new uh, number one on Billboard's Hot 100 singles charts. The song is also number one on the Trade Magazine's digital download chart, thanks to a precedent setting 286,000 downloads in its debut week. She's been uh, tied with Presley with uh, 17 number ones. The Beatles are the all time leaders, of course, with uh, 20. Madonna also beat a Presley record this week, surpassing the King for the most top 10 hits with her 37th with her hit four minutes so um, you know and this is a, a, a sort of a, a source of great shame for the music industry it's a sort of a deep secret that not a lot of people are talking about but you know a lot of these new records don't even really mean anything uh, because nowadays all these musicians are on steroids you heard it here first you're listening to the ravings of a clown on just radio sticks Leave it where it is.
0: I am sailing away Set an open course for the virgin sea Board, I'm a captain. So climb aboard. We'll search for tomorrow and every show. Out. I'm a part of gold, but we'll try.
3: On Jester Radio, kind of like a uh, funky um, uh, mix of like um, Sid Vicious and Bob Dylan. Um, my favorite um, review of him was from some guy in um, the New Yorker magazine uh, who called him uh, the last true punk. And, you know, it's so fucking true. Uh, you know, punk was all about, you know, kicking the establishment in the balls and, you know, sort of pulling back the curtain on this, like, bogus, um, yuppie uh, culture. And um, and that's what Latch was to folk music. It's just uh, brilliant. And, it, you know, it's sort of uh, like all great music gets better. Um, at uh, every listen that's from an old uh, the uh, Blang album um, he's come out with a brand new album which um, we've been playing all week and uh, hopefully we'll hear from Latch soon uh, rumor is that uh, we might get him to uh, grace us with a uh, on air um, visit hey you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jest Radio so stay tuned for that we'll have more about uh, Latch, live on Jester Radio. It's Wednesday, um, April the uh, second, second day of uh, the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2008, and it's all about the water tonight. You know, uh, honestly, you know, for me, my uh, fantasy locale is the woods, you know, some um, secret uh, desolate location surrounded by you know, uh, 40 feet high of barbed wire fence, but so far out, so many thousands of acres out from my ranch that I would never even see the the perimeter. And, my you know, maybe my dogs would get out there um, every couple of days or something to sniff around. Um, but it never included the water. The future ex-former Mrs. Jester was a nut job about the water, and so we ended up living in this... Um, um, you know, right on the beach in in Connecticut, you know, in Stamford, and 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 the um, you know they say that real estate is all about uh, location, location, location. So the the house was you know worth twice as much as the same house would have been you know like four miles north and, you know regular area of Stamford, Connecticut. As if Stamford, Connecticut, the like seventh most expensive neighborhood on the planet. Uh, wasn 't expensive enough, we had to live you know a stone 's throw from the beach, uh, which we got to use you know at least twice a year, so it was totally worth it. No, actually, I think she went down there all the time uh, but for me, the water has always meant you know not a lot. I grew up you know went in, you know going off to summer camp when I was a kid, and I did all the boating and the skiing uh the water skiing, and the you know I like doing the i always got the um swimming. Prizes. I did a lot of competitive swimming, but I was just not a big nut job for being out like on the water on a boat on the water. It just meant nothing to me. Uh, don't really understand it. People talk about their fantasy is to get on a boat at the end of their you know life and sail off into the fucking sunset and live on a boat in the ocean. Man, I can't even think of anything. I would want less to fucking do than to be on a boat. I mean, maybe for a few hours during it. You know, I've been and I've been on a couple of cruises, too, in my life that I enjoyed tremendously. They were a lot of fun, you know, for four days, for a week, for for 10 days. Uh, but that's it, man. You know, it's a novelty going to bed every night with the whoosh and the whoosh. But that's it. But some people, for some people, it's all about the water. And they just the you know they just dream. It's it must you know symbolize in their minds you know this the calmness and the peace of uh, you know the tranquility of life that um, that I just don't uh, get because it seems like a uh, an emergency when you're <laughs> far away from land. It seems like you're in a constant state of pending emergency until such time that you, you know, because we're not fish, we're, we live on the land, you know. If a if you take a goldfish out of the water, the entire time he's out of the water is an emergency for him until mm-hmm. he gets back in. That's the way it is for me. An explosion in a Milwaukee suburb demolished a church and damaged two homes today, injuring seven people, including three firefighters. Road and sewer work was being done in downtown Akanamawaka, before the explosion occurred around 1.30 p.m. and Bob Duffy, the city's economic development director, said the blast and flying debris knocked over several workers. WE Energies had received a call from a contractor about an hour earlier saying workers smelled gas. They may have hit a line. company sent out a crew. At least one of the workers was injured. Another WE Energy spokesman, Rick James, said he had no idea who the other guy was. He didn't even think he really worked for the company. And he did not yet know whether natural gas caused the explosion. But they think they may have hit the line, smelled like gas, big boom, seven people injured, three firefighters, uh, two homes destroyed, may, may have been gas. We'll keep you posted. A Jamaican arrested after trying to check luggage containing a pipe bomb making materials onto a flight home, explained he wanted to show his friends there how to make them. He didn't want to, there's no harm, no foul. Investigators were questioning whether Kevin Christopher Brown had ever been to Iraq, uh, where he told them he'd seen similar bombs made, according to court documents. And looking into his mental health history after his arrest Tuesday at Orlando Orlando International Airport, authorities and airline officials repeated their assurances that passengers were never in any danger. uh, Transportation Secretary Administration officials, nonetheless, touted the 22-year-old's arrest as a victory for new covert screening techniques involving plainclothes officers mingling with the travelers. So what they got now is they have, this is the new method, they probably got this from the Israelis who are like, you know, the best at this, is they have regular people dressed up like regular travelers commingulating around with the people in the airport. And they're giving him all the eye, you see? And then they look him in the eye, and if the guy gives him a look back and a normal nod and a shake and a, hey, how's it going, then he's okay, see? But if he looks at him and the guy, like, does that, you know how in the cartoon when the guy pulls away his shirt and he goes, and this big, huge lump comes down his throat and the schwitzel is coming, pouring off the guy, and he looks at him and he says, that guy looks nervous. And then he gives him the stink eye, see? And the guy starts going, hummy, 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 hummy. and he goes, hey, do you mind stepping aside, sir? Just step over there on the plastic. Cleveland Laycock, a manager in TSA's behavioral de- detection program, who was walking in civilian clothes, first spotted brown. And by the way, his name is Cleveland Laycock. That's his name. And this is why in America they have they have this system where you're allowed to change your name. It's specifically because of names like this. He told an, uh, uninfor- a uh, uniformed subordinate to watch the guy. Um, he first spotted him approaching the Air Jamaica ticket counter. Soon the officer called another for backup. Behavior Detection Officers Frank Skocconi and Jose Zangatita wouldn't spe- specify what Brown did that looked suspicious, saying that, of course, it would undermine their security strategy. But the, the first guy's name was Skowronski, and the second guy's name is Zengotita. So as a team, they're commonly known as Skowronski and Zengotita. That's their little nickname. But they uh, generally study facial expressions and body posture for fear, stress, And deception. When he came up to the ticket counter, he wouldn't look at anyone directly, uh, Skaronsky said. The officers watched Brown drop off two bags to be checked and had security officials set them immediately aside. Uh, Inside were two glass vodka bottles containing uh, nitromethane, a colorless liquid used as fuel for drag racing and manufacturing and as a cleaning solvent, uh, the FBI said in their court filing. Brown told officials uh, that he hoped the liquor bottles would disguise the nitromethane. Uh, The baggage also had a model rocket igniter, galvanized pipes, end caps, uh, two small containers uh, containing BBs, batteries, a laptop, computer, uh, and instructions on how to make a bomb. It's just, this guy was just not very bright. Dave Platt, a TSA bomb appraisal officer who searched the luggage, described the instructions As something that he probably got from the Internet. He said the bags had virtually everything necessary to make a pipe bomb, and someone of his experience could have assembled it in about 15 seconds. But he said Brown's operation appeared to be at the beginning stages of someone starting to mess around making pipe bombs, but regardless of whether they're new at the game or not, when you make a pipe bomb, it could still kill you, whether you're a novice at it or you're really good. Passengers were briefly cleared out of the ticketing area, where Brown checked in for a flight to Montego Bay in Jamaica. Some flights departing Orlando were delayed up to two hours. So maybe uh, he was going to take the luggage off in Jamaica and quickly assemble the bomb and blow himself up in Jamaica. So hard to imagine what the logic of that would be since you know you would think... The better target would be the Orlando, Florida, but he had checked the luggage. And his explanation was he just wanted to show his friends how to make a bomb. It was cool. He learned how to do it on the Internet. In Jamaica, they don't let you on the Internet. So, of course, the first thing you do when you get on the Internet is you check out the the gay porn and you check out how to make a bomb. That's the first two things. It's a known fact that everybody types into the search engine. For the first time, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke acknowledged the U.S. could reel into recession from the powerful punches of housing credit and financial crisis, yet he was coy about the Fed's next move. With home foreclosures swelling to record highs and job losses mounting, Bernanke today offered Congress an unflinching and more pessimistic assessment of potential damage to the national economy. You know, I don't dislike this guy. He's no... Uh, you know, um, whatever the hell that other guy's name was, the guy that uh, retired, the Jewish guy, he was the most amazing, uh, you know, Fed chairman that we've ever had, Um, Greenspan. But this guy I don't dislike um, because he's very confident and he's very strong, and that's really what we need in in that position. A recession is possible, said Bernanke, who is under immense political and public pressure to turn things around. Our estimates are that we're slightly growing at the moment, but we think that there's a chance that for the first half as a whole, there might be a slight contraction. Under one rule of thumb, six straight uh, months of a shrinking economy would constitute a recession, but Bernanke wasn't getting into that. A recession is a technical term, he said. I'm not ready yet to say whether or not the U.S. economy will face such a situation whether or not the economy already has fallen into its first recession since 2001, and many economists believe it has, the housing debacle over uh, and the other economical woes are a major concern for homeowners, job losers and investors and that means they're a concern to Congress and the presidential contenders too. The Fed and the White House have been thrust into crisis management mode again uh, as if the, this thing couldn't have been predicted. But uh, at least the chairman seems to be, you know, standing um, his ground. And, uh, you know, since I don't know shit about uh, how to fix the economy, um, I, I guess the, the, most, uh, the, be- the best that I could do is, um, you know, hope that uh, th- this guy does and uh, that he can turn it around because, um, it's you know, it's just an awful thing when the economy is bad. And uh, I remember the you know terrible economy of the seventies and I just you know hate to see and and they say this could be much worse than that hey you 're listening to the ravings of a clown on just radio, so the good thing is uh, it 's a good time to rent, and if you have a job and whatever it takes, suck dick you know wear tight clothes and bend over frequently it 's really important that you do that because it 'll get down to a certain point. When the economy is in real crisis, that there 'll be just a tiny little core of people left, and those people have their jobs locked in because they can 't hire anybody new, and they can 't afford to lose anybody because they 're down to like a bare skeletal structure, so the gimmick is to become part of that skeletal structure, so whatever it takes at this point to keep that job uh, you know just uh, the you know p- top priority. Uh, It's Wednesday, April the 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2008. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jest Radio. It's still all about the water. And here's a tale of a guy that's uh, in love with the sea. His life, his love, his lady is the sea. There's
1: a port on a western bay And it serves a hundred ships a day The finest silver from the north of Spain, a locket that bears the name of a man that Brandy loved. It came on a summer's day, bringing gifts from far away, but it made it clear they couldn't stop.
6: <laughs> well, blow me down. Is that right, Papa? Eat all this spinach to make those big muscles? Nah, tai think so. I am what I am on account of I eat me spinach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye the Sailor Man. Now I am what I am and that's all what I am i pop by the Sailor Man. Now I'm one tough kazookas, what hates all palookas, what hate on the ups and swear. Boy, I bips em and puffs em and always outrubs em, but none of em gets nowhere. Now if anyone i to risk my fist, it's buff and it's wham, understand? So keep good behavior, it's your one life saver, with Popeye the Sailor Man. Oh, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye the Sailor Man. Boy, I am what I am, and that's all what I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. The Sailor Man Boy, I'm strong to the finish Cause I eat me spinach I'm Popeye by the Sailor Man Yacht Hello.
7: Charters Hello
8: Hello Yeah, I want to know if I could rent one of them yachts
7: Did you say that again,
8: I want to know if I could rent one of them yachts.
7: Sure.
8: What are you so sure about? You got them? Yep. Now my old lady keeps crying up and down. She wants to go out one of them yachts. Right. Back in WW2, I used to be a seaman. Now I just put it all over my wife's ass.
7: Right. That is funny.
8: Yeah, I know. She don't find it too humorous at this age.
7: I didn't think so.
8: So where do I sign up? I want to be one of them sailors. I want to go down to the Caribbean. So what's the story? How much is it going to cost?
7: How many people in your party? Me and her and the old man. Uh, the smallest guy we have charges for $950 for three hours.
0: Fortune!
8: Now, my wife don't like them prices. you got to do better. I'm a veteran.
7: We don't have anything less expensive, sir.
8: I got stories that'll raise the hair in your head. We used to go down there to Tahiti, the Philippines. I used to bang broads like they were going out of style back then. Back in the old days you could bang them for about ten out of time for a dime. We used to even make songs about it. Ten out of time for a dime. Ten out of time for a dime. Anything
7: less expensive. I'm just a broker, I'm not an owner, sir. It's a piece of shit.
8: Well, you're breaking me with them prices. That's... I
7: can't help that, sir. That's the lowest, that's the smallest yacht we have. Don't you hear my wife crying? I'm sorry, no, I didn't. Is that your wife?
8: Who do you think it is, my dog? I'm well, sorry, I said... I... Hey, don't, don't even be a funny wise guy. I know where you were going to go next with that.
7: I'm sorry?
8: Yeah, because my wife, she don't like them prices.
7: That's the the least expensive yacht I have, sir. Well, what kind of boat is it? It's a 62-foot Hatteras. It's
0: full of fucking shit.
8: I know what she wants to. She likes that movie Mutiny on the Bounty.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not
7: going to put up with the language anymore, so goodbye, sir.
9: Sail on down the line But uh, half a mile or so And uh, don't really want to know uh, Where you're going Maybe once or twice, you see uh, Time after time I try to, to hold on to what we got But uh, now you're going Oh, about the things you're gonna say, Lord, I gave all my money and my time, I know it's a shame. They say they told me so, but it doesn't matter. It was plain to see that small town boy like me just was on your cup of tea. I was wishful thinking. I gave you my heart and I tried to make you happy.
3: On Jester Radio, he was the uh, lead singer for the Commodores. Never thought he did um, his materials held up to the uh, Commodores uh, in his solo career. Although he did that song "Still," which was the right on the border uh, between the group and the solo. So they released it in the, uh, as the Commodores, but it was really a solo tune, and that was probably the best thing he ever did. Right there on the on the fence between um, his career as a band member, lead man. Uh, and uh, as a solo act, Lionel Richie, and there's that metaphor again, as if sailing on is the most beautiful and peaceful thing that a person can do on a boat, on a ship, at sea, sailing on, and that's the way our love will go. It will go like a ship at sea, which to me means our love will be very much like a dire emergency until we, you know, ship, uh, you know, uh, 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 reach uh, port uh, the uh, Jerky Boys before that, and the Kissel Sales bit, the uh, Popeye the Sailor man, of course, the original um, uh, voice of Popeye, who was, you know, just a, a, a sort of a brief uh, time. Probably um, most people don't even recognize uh, that voice of uh, Willie, uh, 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 William Billy. Costello, uh, more famously known as Red Pepper Sam, and he did all these outrageous voices. He was sort of like the Robin Williams of the 30s, and he was in all these old Betty Boop uh, cartoons, these um, King Features cartoons, and he was sort of like every you know great sort of cultural icon of uh, america we we love the second banana um he was a sort of a an extra in a betty boop cartoon and he sort of took off on his own and betty boop completely fell by the wayside although Mae Questel, who did the voice of betty boop was also the voice of olive oil so all was well and good with her career but not so much for betty herself uh the ink she she disappeared and they say that uh, red pepper sam was such a dick to work with he actually was like um you know w- drunk and uh ornery most of the time this is back in the early 30s 1933 was uh, the the first uh, uh Popeye, you know cartoon um that they fired him and they you know got uh, jack mercer who was a who was an animator um, for the King Features group. He was, um, an, he was w- one of these, um, in betweeners, um, uh, who didn't even do the real animation. He just did the grunt work. And he did like years. He was like, worked for Hannah and Joseph Barbera, um, and did all those, uh, you know, <laughs> cartoons, you know, that we think of with uh, the Jetsons and the Flintstones. And the, and you think to yourself, you know, why does he know all this shit? I had this um, um, fascination with King Features when I was a kid, like a lot of uh, sort of weirdness in my home I grew up with. uh, My family had special relationships with uh, all these um, sort of fictional characters from my life. Um, You know, they they were, um, my father was in marketing and he was very close friends with these people who i saw on tv as um you know like larry Harmon was a you know would come over for bagels and lox on sunday and 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 on saturday morning he was bozo the clown and it was really um and a a, a, a kind of a amazing perspective and then the same for like sherry and the uh, puppet with the sock and she was over the house all the time and also with the um a lot of these guys from the King features, so I sort of grew up with this fascination for this uh, for all the king features um cartoons and uh, you know and and they were like kind of had this weird edginess to them. I don't know if you remember um besides uh, Popeye, they had the uh, Felix the cat um and and the um, you know um God, I can't even remember now. As you know, my brain has turned to to mush. Um, my favorite one was Crazy Cat and Minute Mouse. Uh, that this was a uh, this bizarre uh, coupling of uh, lovers. One was a cat and one was a mouse that strangely loved each other, and uh, they were constantly um, r- chasing each other around. They had this love hate thing going and they were all like weird black and white and had these very exaggerated, uh, tinny voices because of the recording equipment kind of removes all the, um, upper frequencies, So you ha- everybody sort of sounds like they're talking in a tin can. Um, and even for me growing up in the fifties, the whole thing was very bizarre and I was really drawn to it. So I'm a big fan of, um, the King features, and especially Popeye. Popeye was my favorite because he had this thing that was sort of like borderline magic, but it had some basis in science. He was a superhero, but he, he didn't, uh, you know, come from a f- another planet, and he did, he wasn't exposed to some radioactive goo. He simply ate his vegetables, something that you know we were all supposed to be doing, you know, diligently all the time. And when he did, the reward was just uh, amazing. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Wednesday, April the 2nd. The 12-year-old boy had finished his homework and was playing a video game when he heard his mother cry out. Rushing to her aid, he found her on the kitchen floor, straddled by a fellow resident of their Prince George's County boarding house. The man's hand wrapped tightly around her neck, the boy said. Yesterday, I kept saying, stop, stop, stop. Uh, he was uh, telling us, uh, describing the events of Monday night, but he just ignored us. Uh, he just ignored me. He didn't stop. He just kept hurting her. The boy said he grabbed a knife and swung, slashing 64-year-old Salomon Nublisey across the neck and opening an artery. Nublisey was fatally wounded. The mother, Cheryl Stamp, said she did not immediately understand what had happened. What did you do, she said. She asked her son. He didn't say anything. But I knew when I looked in his eyes and I said, oh Lord, law enforcement officials were reviewing evidence yesterday, had not decided whether to file charges. Their preliminary account of the incident broadly matches that of the boy and his mother. I'm predicting they're not going to, they're going to find that uh, this kid had, you know, what's called the third party self-defense defense. Which is that he acted in order to save his mother it 's perfectly reasonable for a twelve year old child to to act in protection of his mother and the, the, there seems to be an overwhelming amount of evidence that had he not acted uh, the mother was in imminent danger of of physical harm or death that 's the standard for self defense and uh, you know this is um, you know Maryland and the uh, very very conservative um community and this poor kid this poor 12 year old kid is going to live the rest of his life with this um you know burden with this uh, amazing uh, horrible thing that he uh, took somebody's life uh, you know to, to protect his mother sure but i mean 12 years old i mean i wasn't in, until i reached like 22 23 24 I couldn't even really figure out, like, the whole thing about keeping appointments and understanding, like, how to pay taxes and get a checking account and everything. This kid was 12 years old. Botulinum neurotoxin type A, which is sold as Allergen Inks Botox, uh, which is a remedy for wrinkles. Can move from its injection site to the brain. A study is showing scientists injected rats' whiskers, muscles with botulism toxin you know in their little in their little face where their whiskers are, where they would put it on your face. Tests of the rodent 's brain tissue found that the botulism had been transported to the brain stems. Researchers said in a journal of neuroscience uh, article published uh, today botox is allergen 's biggest product. With $1.21 billion in sales last year, the drug approved in 1989 became fashionable among celebrities seeking to smooth facial wrinkles and is used to treat some neurological disorders. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is investigating whether patients contracted botulism, a muscle weakening illness from Botox, and Myoblock, a product from Solstice, which is also um, a uh, uh, a botulism derivative. The reason it works, of course, is because it paralyzes the muscle and the muscle hangs so you don't flex the muscle, you don't get a wrinkle. But you know, it has a kind of a look, a, a kind of a droop to it. You know, when somebody has uh, apoplexy, you know, when one side of their face droops like after a um, a brain injury or a stroke. Um, you know, it sort of has a kind of a look to it, a kind of a hang. And even if it's on your forehead, and the thing that amazes me is all these women that get this procedure done are the same women that stand around and talk to each other about how the other bitch's, you know, face job looks like shit. So they have to know if they think it through on any reasonable level that they then will then, of course, become the target of the same derision because, it's obvious when you have one of these procedures, you don't look like a normal person your age. Nobody looks their fucking age anymore. The, 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 my ex-girlfriend's mother looks like five, seven years older than the, than the chick, her, than the woman herself. And she's like, I don't even know how old she is. She's like 70 or 65 or something. She looks like she's 45. She's had everything done. She's had everything done like twice. She had a couple of things they had to tweak because she went back in for minor. It's unbelievable. And I don't even know what color fucking people's hair is anymore. Nobody has fucking white hair anymore. So the question then is if they know, if they know because they do it to the other women, if they know that everybody's going to really see that they had it done, that there is going to be some telltale sign like when they normally smile and their foreheads continues to droop unnaturally, people will be able to tell what do they then tell themselves to, to to get themselves to go through it that that no that won't happen to me, and i'll just have it done a little bit and not as much as those other bitches do and well, you know what kind of fucking you know psychopathic thing is it to go to a doctor voluntarily because You don't look beautiful enough. Canadian warbler Celine Dion has canceled her Beijing uh, concert after failing to obtain a permit, uh, which is Chinaman code for uh, they're not happy with uh, all this uh, pro-Tibet shit that the rock stars are pulling spontaneously at concerts. So they're starting to pull, uh, and this Celine Dion happens to be the same promoter that had, um, w- that was in China, you know, uh, a couple of months ago. And, um, th- th- um somebody, uh, that, that they were promoting, who the hell was it again? It was some other famous act. Uh, oh yeah, Bjork. It was the same promoter as Bjork. And this, uh, uh, and at the end of the concert Bjork, you know screamed out you know independence for Tibet and fucking China went okay That's it. We're canceling the fucking any more concerts from the same promoter And it happens to be the next one is Celine Dion who sold out 10,000 seats And now they're having to give everybody their fucking uh, seats, but their money back Because they just can't have people uh, You know getting up and screaming freedom for a country, They just can't have that. A week after dozens of people ransacked an Oregon home, you remember we reported on this last week, that this guy came home to find his house being ransacked, and everybody just pulled out this ad and said, oh, it said in Craigslist that you abandoned the property and to take everything we wanted. Well, now we find out that police have arrested a couple for orchestrating the online hoax as part of a cover-up Of an earlier burglary of the property, these two skanks had stolen um, a bunch of um, saddles from this guy's property, and they went home and they and they sold the saddles. Like you know, and I bought a saddle for my daughter. My daughter was a a, a champion, thirty blue ribbon winning um, equestrian jumper when she was a kid, and I spent a lot of fucking money on this horsey paraphernalia. Let me tell you something. Of the whole thing, the horse itself was the cheapest thing. Let me tell you, the vet bills, the vet insurance bills alone, I can't begin to tell you. But saddles sell for thousands of dollars. Used saddles sell for thousands of dollars. They're like a car. So these skanks stole the fucking guy's saddles, like three or four of them, sold them for like a hundred bucks. Right away, immediately went and got themselves, you know, wasted on fucking methamphetamine or whatever these, you know, fucking people do. And they said, oh, shit, how are we going to cover up the fact that we stole the saddles? Let's put this ad on Craigslist. You know, it's anonymous. No one's going to ever know it was us. And we'll say Guy had to move out of town. And then everybody will steal all his shit. They won't, you know, come back to us and realize we the ones who stole the saddles. They'll think it's just like sort of lost in the shuffle. And they came up with the scheme, so they got on the computer, never realizing, of course, that the there's a trail that of every bite that you know, that goes across the internet. I don't know why people don't know that. Don't people watch like, you know, these CSI shows? I mean, certainly they must understand that the the reason they call it the information superhighway is because information travels along it, including <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. So of course the, the, all, the cops went to Craigslist. They said, give us the IP address of the guy who filed the, uh, you know, ad. They gave him the IP. They then take that IP. They go to a website. Uh, they type in the IP address. It says it's owned by this company. They go to the company and they say, who was leasing this IP address from you on that day? And they go, oh, uh, we have, uh, you know, customer at such and such address. And they go and knock on his fucking door. And they say, you know, these two, like trailer trash, Uh, skanks, they say, you know, do you mind if we scan your computer? They were like, yeah, sure, don't worry about it. They probably thought they deleted it or something, uh, not knowing nothing ever gets deleted. And uh, now they're in the can. So, what a fucking world you people live in. Honest to God. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown. It's Wednesday, April the 2nd. Uh, hanging in the Jester Radio chat room. Why not stop by 646-502-8600. Gets you live on the air. So many songs about uh, sailing. What's up with that? Leave it where it is. It's, uh, John Prime. I am sailing.
0: I am sailing. the sea I am sailing stormy
4: Take one, too, Dad. Scared, son? Don't be. I love you at times like this. I know, Dad, but how can you be an... I mean, I still don't see how you can be my defense lawyer and the people's prosecutor all at the same time. Easy, son. This way I can personally see that you're persecuted to the full extent of the laws. That's my dad. George Leroy fighter, please take the stand. to me? Now stand tall, Porge. There's no... This is a line of Indians leaving Rancho Malario to make room for you. Here's the beautiful Trail of Tears golf course. This is Carolyn Presky. you've sold out! Now let's see just what you bought on this, your third day on Hawaiian Sellout. Bob... What's Miss Presky's heap so far? Right, Jack. So far, a complete broken set of color bars for Mrs. B's new home, some leveled mountain skis and water rollers for that fun-filled open season, an unattached grid-five stand-up reheater with a smoke window, and now... 300 full pounds of Chef Antoine Southern Fried Glimpse toasted to gold perfection, cute reheated, and returned to water before you're ready, Miss B. And the inside, well, look at that. It's just as lovely. Two shelves none are needed, And look at that close the door and the light stays on. (laughs) Well, how do you feel, Ms. Preskey? Sick. Ah, well, you can afford it now, love. But like the good book says, there are bigger deals to come. Was that the line you took, Lieutenant? I can't. Now, oh, go I ahead. You have to answer I this one. I, dumb, time, I, can't, I can't remember. Calm down, my boy. i entire. tired rest you. Major, not... kindly instruct your client to stop acting, and you could take a couple of lessons in military toughness yourself. Yes, yes and everything went black. General, General no I must insist this and... man is in no condition well, to replay I can that. I see it... that, Major. Will the recording sergeant read the scene back to him? Yes, sir. Alvarado, sir, what are we going to do, man? Matetsky, take it easy, lieutenant. Tirebiter, we're going to go out there and k- 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 cut, 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 cut. I can't say it. I'm sorry, but I zip-beep. Can you remember now, Lieutenant? Surrogate General Klein, sir. When I signed my contract with you, I fully intended to fulfill its terms with honor, sir. But you never told me I had to go out there and kill anybody. (coughs) Lieutenant, we will not tolerate the use of prohibited language in this court's marshals. The accursed will be advised of the absence of his rights under the secret code of military toughness and will act accordingly. Oh, gee whiz, I'm sorry. I suppose it's we parents should be sorry, Judge. We failed somewhere. We didn't raise this boy to use language like that. Now, it's not our fault anymore, Mr. Prosecution. Call the next witness. <laughs> what do you think I ought to call him, Judge? <laughs> I, I don't know. We don't have a name <laughs> for him. He never went to school. <laughs> well then, the people calls to the stand. You.
2: Don't point at me, Daddy! Turn off your No,
4: no, 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 no! You, the, that's the second man from the rear over there. You, you, the man with no shoes. You. You promise to covet property, propriety, plurality, surety, security, and not hurt the state? Say what? What? <clears throat> Take your stand. Now then, Mr. Head... Hi, Mr. Tirebiter, you know me. Do you know the defendant? Do I know Porgy? And you spend all your free time with him? Sure, except when he's in school. So you don't go to school? Heck no, I'm 30 years old. But you were in school, weren't you? Never. And with your friend Porgy... No! ...last night. <laughs>
3: There you go again with the sailing away. Everybody's... Every mother's son on Jester Radio. With another thinly veiled sexual metaphor of uh, the ocean and sailing and everybody's on a boat. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but... The first thing they make you do when you get on is about 45 minutes after you board. They make you take the life preserver, and this is what you're gonna be dangling, bobbing like a cork in the you know, North Pacific Ocean in. They, they make you put it on and wearing it they make you go to the special way station everybody's assigned a special, you know, way station, it's like the dining hall or something, you know, nearest you and you have like you know 400 people in the dining hall all wearing these you know orange things and they're like antsy they they want to unpack they have the kids you know tugging at them and it's absolutely mandatory it's required by law before they even pull out they have to do this and this is where they tell you the emergency procedures where to follow what to do in case of a mid cruise emergency Meaning you have to disembark, jump off into the water, get into another ship, hurl yourself from a you know rapidly sinking or exploding ship. who knows what it is, but this is the entire time you 're out to sea you 're in imminent danger of any one of many things happening since we are of course uh, you know uh, landlocked creatures we 're not amphibious we 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 don't dwell in the water we're not equipped to live on in the water we're humans so the entire time you're out to sea you're in a state of emergency until you're back on land so it's curious that uh a lot of the um a lot of the lore uh points to this sort of peaceful and contented and and everlasting love and all these um, wonderful uh, things are imbued into the ocean rather than the the actual drowning and the dying, which is much uh, more common, I would think. Fireside Theater before that goes out to Lady V. Rod Stewart started that set sailing uh, salty waters. Everybody's fucking sailing. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Um, just wanted to uh, take a moment and thank you so very much for stopping by and spending a little of Uh, your day with us, you just can't even begin to imagine how much it means to us. And on behalf of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Reception, and yours truly, and all those that work here at Jester Radio Studios, uh, thanks so very much um, for coming by. Bob asked me to remind you that if you've missed any portion of this evening's show, we'll be recast at 2 a.m. and then again 2 p.m. following all times Eastern. Of course, the 2 a.m. precedes the 2 p.m. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, there's also the podcast, which you can find at www.jesterradio.com or search in iTunes under Ravings of a Clown. And there's also a convenient link at our website that you can just click on it and the podcast will be automatically added to your subscription. So every morning you'll wake up with the Jester to go. Is that about it? Oh, right. And the donate button, please, um, you know, Give till it hurts. Uh, we do this um, every evening. It's um, my best two hours of the day, and I do hope it means something um, to you. And we just want to keep the train rolling, and to do that, we need those donations, and we sure do appreciate them. Is uh, fifth grader Kenton Shuffle Beam smarter than the Smithsonian, the 11-year-old boy? who lives in uh, Allegan, Michigan, but attends Alamo Elementary School school near Kalamazoo, went with his family during winter break to the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of Natural, of Natural History in Washington. Since it opened in 1981, millions of people have paraded past the museum's Tower of Time, a display involving prehistoric time. Not one visitor had reported anything amiss With the exhibit until Kenton noticed that a notation in bold lettering identified the pre Cambrian as an era. And Kenton knew that was wrong. His fifth grade teacher, John Chapman, had uh, nearly made the same mistake in a classroom earth science lesson before catching himself. I knew Mr. Chapman wouldn't tell all these students bad information, Uh, the boy told the Kalamazoo Gazette in a story published today. So Kevin Stufflebeam. Uh, took his son to the museum's information desk to report Kenton's concern on a comment uh, form that they gave him. And then last week, the boy got a letter from the museum acknowledging that his observation was spot on. The Precambrian is a dimensionless unit of time which embraces all the time between the origin of Earth and the beginning of the Cambrian period of geologic time. The letter says the solution to the problem would not involve advanced science, but rather just painting over where it says "era." <laughs> just gonna those three little letters. We did forward a copy of the comment and our uh, paleobiology department's response to the head of the exhibits department. Said Lorraine Ramsdale, education technician for the museum. While no previous visitor of the museum had brought up the era, it has. Long rankled the paleobiology department staff, who noticed it even before the Tower of Time was erected 27 years ago. She said the question is, why was it put up uh, like that in the first place? So, simple three-letter error. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? A burglar who broke into a funeral home tried to fool police by playing dead. But two things gave him away. First, he was breathing, and plus he wore like grungy street clothes instead of the you know the Sunday best that they uh, that they set you up with when you're uh, in the box. Police say the Crespo um, Spain funeral home uh, today had no idea that the 23-year-old Spanish man was trying to steal in the March 17th break-in. In a small town just outside of Valencia, neighbors living nearby alerted police when they heard the front door of the business being forced open in the middle of the night. Uh, Cops arrived with the owner and eventually found the suspect lying on a table in a glassed-in chamber used for viewings of deceased people during wakes. The custom here is for dead people to be dressed in suits and nice clothing that they look presentable. This guy was in everyday clothes that were wrinkled and dirty, the cop said. Uh, He was trying to fake being dead, but then we noticed that he was breathing. The suspect's name was not released. Police said that he served jail time in the past for robbery. The funeral home said it was mystified about what the man could have been after. There's no valuables or cash. It's a funeral parlor. What the fuck was he thinking? Bob is back. The folks at the Fort Worth Museum of Science and History say a two-foot-long snapping turtle called Bob What more appropriate, a name was located today in a construction area. A worker noticed the uh, dirt-caked critter moseying along. Assistant curator LaShawn Spotted uh, Bear um, said that uh, Bob apparently had been with a group of turtles to be moved last September during renovations at a museum pond, but she believes the 15-pound turtle went underground, at least for a while, when his fellow reptiles were relocated to another part of the museum complex. Spotted Bear thinks recent heavy rain loosened the dirt where he'd been. She said Bob appears a little thin, but he's doing well. He's getting some treats like minnows, and it's, he's getting fattened up a little bit, which is good because um, when they make the soup, you don't want them skinny. And that is good, num, num tasty soup. A judge who ran out of uh, prospective jurors in a child rape trial in Lima, Omaha, sent sheriff's deputies to the Walmart to uh, round up uh, surprised shoppers. Three deputies qu- uh, questioned mall walkers and shoppers whether they were Allen County residents and registered voters. And then they just issued them summonses on the spot. If the answers to both questions were yes, deputies handed orders to appear to 12 potential jurors on Monday and 8 yesterday. In 20 years on the bench, this is only the second time this has occurred. Commons Plea Court Judge Richard Warren said summonses were also given to visitors to the Allen County Courthouse where the trial is scheduled. So if you were just sitting around wanting to watch a trial anyway, then they drafted you, including one guy who was there finalizing a divorce. Uh, and another who is visiting the county auditor's office. Six people served at the courthouse on Monday were dismissed from the jury pool when defense attorney uh, Kenneth Rexford objected. Eight women and four men were seated yesterday, and opening arguments took place today in the trial of Terry Hupp, who's 51 years old, of Spencerville. He's charged with six counts of gross sexual imposition, which means rape, and three of the counts... um, carry a life sentence possible life sentence so this is how you want to put a guy away i I would think this would be the perfect grounds for a um a appeal they got the (laughs) got the juries from the fucking walmart what least could possibly qualify you for being on a jury than being in walmart thanks again for stopping by remember be impeccable with your word it's the one and only one that you have and always speak with integrity. Don't take anything personally. It's not about you, uh, even when you're in the room. Don't make assumptions. You never know what's going on uh, behind the curtain, and always do your best. That's the most important thing. I say it every night, but I really mean it. Everything you do should really be the best. You can do it, and that's just for you. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. People, look around you. The signs are everywhere. You've left it for somebody other than you to be the ones to care. You're lost inside your houses. There's no time to find you now. Your walls are burning and your towers are turning. I'm going to leave you here and try and get down to the All sea somehow.
10: look around you. Good night. The signs are everywhere. You've left it for somebody other than you To be the one to care You're lost inside your houses There's no time to find you now While your walls are burning And your towers are turning I'm gonna leave you here and try to get down to the sea somehow. The road is filled with homeless souls, every woman, child, and hotter, but the sisters of the sun are gonna rock me on the water now, rock me on the water sister will you soothe my fever Wrap rock me on the water, I'll get down to the sea